With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Hi there, I'm your your host on Friday morning here, Rez Krebs. And today, as usual, we've got our Friday panel, Eric Allen, Herb Martin, Peter Ewart, and Art Betke. Welcome, everyone. Uh, I'll just note that our... Our favorite uh, panelist, Trudy Clausen, is no longer with us on the Friday panel because she's now running for office. Uh, so I think we can say good luck, Trudy, without being um, not objective. Obviously, the first thing that we should talk about today is uh, the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, longest reigning monarch in uh, British history. I think the second longest reigning monarch in recorded history from what I saw. Um, this is, is this a huge change for us in Canada? Is this an opportunity for something different when it comes to uh, our head of state? Um, and do we think that uh, who will now be known as King Charles III, whether King Charles is going to actually do something different with the monarchy than his predecessor? Eric, what do you think? Well, I mean... We should be looking at doing things differently in a democracy all the time, not waiting for somebody to die to get started. But aside from that, uh, I mean, we've got a lot of work to do here. But the the monarchy doesn't have any authority in Canada or Australia, some of these countries, and hasn't had for quite a number of years, other than a traditional head of state or something. So if the prime minister, uh, through... He appoints the uh, governor general, goes through the process of getting the okay from the queen, but in actual fact, he doesn't have to do that. He appoints them, and uh, we've had some instances where, uh, I think with Harper, he was prepared to fire the governor general if she didn't do what he told her to do and just hire another one that would. So, so that part of it having any impact on Canadian democracy is, it's a non-starter, it's not even an issue. But but the tradition that goes with it over uh, you know hundreds and hundreds of years, not just for us but for the whole world, that's pretty hard to get rid of unless you got a good reason for it. Because a lot of people like the Queen, they like that tradition, and they don't want to get rid of it. And my position is kind of simple: um, if a lot of people like something, why get why not just let them have it? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. guess I, I see here that uh, in 2017 to 2018, the cost of the monarchy was pegged at $62 million, or $1.68 per Canadian. Ooh, that's rough. <laughs> Peter, what do you think? Is this something that we should be considering removing, or is Eric right? Enough people like it, so why rock the boat? Well, my opinion would be, yes, we should get rid of the monarchy. It's, it's anachronistic, it's archaic, it's a vestige of feudal times and you know like there already is a lot of opposition in other parts of the world especially like the Caribbean you know to the uh, monarchy uh, having head of state there and so on like one of the signs I I saw in uh, Jamaica which I thought was very good was uh, it goes kings, queens, princes and and princesses uh, belong in fairy tales not Jamaica (laughs) and um, you know it, it enshrines elitism you know, in my opinion, the uh, the, the monarchy, uh, and, and and also there's a, a significant opposition in Canada. There was an Angus Reid poll uh, earlier this year, you know, which had 51 people, 51 percent 
of Canadians opposed to the monarchy. And it jumps up to 65% if Charles is king, which he will be. <laughs> and, and, and 76% if Camilla is, is queen. You know, so I think this is an opportunity for us to, uh, you know, our original constitution, the BNA Act, was actually drafted in England, and Canadians had no say in it whatsoever. This is an opportunity to, to uh, elect a constituent assembly uh, and draft a new constitution and, and have a republic. And, uh, like, the only thing I would say is that uh, with the governor general, it's not true that they have no power. People should look at what happened in Australia in 1975 with Gough Whitlam there when uh, the governor general um, got rid of him and, you know, had that power to do that, right, uh, at a time when he was actually advocating getting away from the monarchy and getting rid of American bases and so on. Well, was this the prime minister? Yeah, the prime minister, Gough Whitlam, was, was deposed That's by the incredible. governor general. And, and furthermore, you know, like when you look at... Um, uh, even the transition when uh, the uh, last election there, you know, like when Christy Clark and John Horgan, they both went to the lieutenant governor, who's a representative of the crown in, uh, in, the, in the province. Uh, well, guess who made the decision? It was the lieutenant governor. You know, so they have that measure in there, which is an elitist measure of, uh, of the elites, right? You know, that, that's a fail-safe sort of thing that they can utilize if they want. And I think we should do away with it. Herb, what do you think? Are you a Republican? You want to see us get a move away from uh, any kind of monarchist uh, vestiges? Uh, <clears throat> logically, I am. But, um, but I, I do have to admit that... Um, you know, there's a place in my heart for the for the Commonwealth, and um, as a head of that, uh, the, uh, the Queen and now the King uh, play some role. And I think, um, you know, the Commonwealth can be proud of its history uh, in, in, well, fairly recently anyway, uh, played a pretty important part in getting um, uh, apartheid ended in uh, South Africa. So, uh, and I think it's a, maybe a useful institution going forward, too. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of good ties between Britain, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, um, and and uh, the other Commonwealth comp- uh, com- countries, India, uh, uh, the, the Caribbean, and um, you know that's uh, it, it could be a dynamic um, institution going forward. We shouldn't uh, probably totally dismiss the monarchy be- because of that. But, um, yeah, when it comes to housekeeping, uh, issues like the, uh, uh, the, the governor general and, and its power over our, our parliament, you know, perhaps it's time to uh, uh, nip that in the bud for sure. Hmm. I mean, I, I think at the Commonwealth is kind of group therapy for post-colonial PTSD. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure what else, what else we get from it. But it's interesting to think about the apartheid issue. So... We got art. Uh, the 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 final uh, kind of point here. What do you think? Is this where are we going now with uh, the monarchy? And considering um, the, that Angus Reid poll that says up to was it seventy five percent with Camilla as queen goes. I, I don't think she'll ever have the title of queen because of the circumstances of her marriage to uh, Charles. Uh, yeah, I, I know people don't care for her, and I'm not really fussy about Charles either. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay as just the prince, but as king, uh, uh, Liz was a classy lady, and everybody liked her. And 
you know, she was uh, always focused on allowing government to rule without her influence or intrusion. And uh, she never paraded her personal beliefs or politics in public, but uh, her male heirs certainly seem to be, and that's not so nice. If, if they're going to start telling us how to live, it's just going to... It's it's going to detract from them and and uh, from the institution itself. Uh, as long as people like the monarch, and uh, then then there's no no real push to get rid of the monarchy. But if they're not fussy about the the latest king, the public sentiment will turn against it. I mean, basically. He, Charles is a useless figurehead. I mean, his mother was too, but we liked her. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and as, as one of the humanitarian rich, uh, he feels just terrible about the sins of the industrialized, developed world, but not terrible enough to sacrifice any personal element of his privileged lifestyle. Um, you know, there's just desserts for him being so righteous, but, you know, he'll insist that we, the great unwashed masses, and we must sacrifice to save the world. He knows he's useless, and he's latched on to global warming, and he's going to help save the world for us. He doesn't know anything about the issue, not the science. He's just mimicking the talking points, and I, this guy, you know, he, he's... He's hurting his own position there. He, he should just shut up and try and emulate his mother. I heard a great, uh, I saw a great, you know, mock headline, 73-year-old man finally gets job. <laughs> <laughs> King Charles, right? I mean, he's, I think he's the oldest uh, person to take the throne. Uh, and it's it's a really interesting, I mean, if if we have this kind of attitude towards that's right i I think that um camilla by the way will be known as king's consort not yeah just just like um the queen's uh or prince philip was known right um if we have this kind of attitude towards king charles what will be the attitude towards his his successor in 10 20 years right Mm. um people like william though they don't like his dad the thing is they have they're just figureheads it is tradition they don't have any influence on government, very, very little. Even in Britain, they don't have it. You know, the prime minister and the elected people in the House of Lords and all that, they basically run it. So, you know, I want to read this because I think people should hear it. This was Churchill's take on the Westminster okay. form of government. He says, was, many forms of government have been tried and will be tried in this world of sin and woe. <laughs> no one pretends that democracy is perfect or all-wise. Indeed, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government, except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. So we have a good system here. There's nothing worse than a bunch of Canadians who have probably the best country in the world, the best jobs in the world, the best rates of pay in the world, more food than they can possibly eat. Everybody drives a car pretty well, except the people we were talking about earlier, which we have to do something about, and we're going to complain. (laughs) Well, I I mean... Actually, I think Peter brings up an interesting point. When the rubber hits the road, as in when we have a some kind of crisis in our democracy, that's when the Queen's representative, or now the King's representative, the Lieutenant Governor, or the Governor General steps in, right? Well, should we be allowing that? Should, or should we? The road a Second World War, the Korean War, and everything else. We managed it okay. The, the, the thing with democracy, though, is it needs to be renewed and updated. 
you know, like a, sort of like a, we have this system, this creaky system in place, in, in, whether it's in Britain or whether it's here, uh, that basically enshrines uh, elitism and uh, needs, uh, needs renovation. You know, like as one of the things, I, you know, you, you think about, like how we're going to explain this in the future to our, our children, that if you are an immigrant coming to Canada, you have to pledge allegiance to a foreign monarch, King Charles, uh, you know, to become a citizen of Canada. No, you don't. You, know, you, you don't have to become a citizen. You got a choice. You make that choice. That's the problem with people today. They got choices and they don't want to make it. We got people turn out at the polls, twenty-two percent. Imagine yeah, for a city poll. Yeah. People want to change in democracy, but they don't want to get off their butt and do anything about it. We can change all of this just by participating in the Westminster system. <laughs> we don't do that. You know, I got a little deal here in, the, in Hyde Park in Britain when they started talking, standing in the park and talking and, corner, yeah, and yeah. raving about democracy and what they need. 1872, 140 years ago, still doing it today. That's what a democracy is, the right to stand up and talk about whatever you want. Some of these other countries, you try it, and the next place you are is in a pint box. Although I would say at this time, you know, there's some threats in terms of freedom of speech and, and other issues that are, are coming up here. And, and for me, the, the whole question is, is that political power, sovereignty, political sovereignty should lie with the people. And uh, with their current system that we have, uh, the Westminster system uh, enshrines it too much with uh, with with elites, and uh, I think we need to seriously look at like like why not have our own constitution that we uh, participate in in formulating and vote on. We've got that now since 1982, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, but we have we haven't. Uh, there was not a process, a constituent assembly. No, uh, that, that and that one our, that we were able elected to vote officials, on. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to have to take a break here, and we'll move on to some more uh, exciting topics after this. Find out what's happening in and around Prince George for the latest community events and happenings. Tune in to After 9 weekday mornings at 9 o'clock on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Your host for the day will interview everybody from local politicians to cultural contributors and a whole lot more. Stay in the know with After 9 weekday mornings at 9 o'clock only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. If you missed the live broadcast, catch the repeats every Sunday to Thursday night at 10. Are you or your team struggling to grow your sales? Hi, it's Norm Adams here from Pivot Leader in Prince George. Sales can be an easy, low-paying job, or it can be the most challenging, rewarding, and high-paying profession. Really, it's up to you. At Pivot Leader, we work with sales professionals who are committed to developing their skills. After only eight months of workshops and coaching, our students have increased sales by 40% or more. If you'd like some help getting your team to the next level, get in touch today. Email me, norm, at pivotleader.com, or visit our website, pivotleader.com. The 30th Annual Antiques and Collectibles Fair is back this fall. October 1st and 2nd, check out a great variety of antiques and collectibles at the Roller Dome. Admission is just $5, $4 for seniors and students, and children under 6 get in free. A weekend pass is $8. In support of the South Bowl Community Association, the 30th Annual Antiques and Collectibles Fair, Saturday, October 1st from 10 to 5, and Sunday, October 2nd from 10 to 4 at the Roller Dome. Forecast from Environment Canada, sunny today with a high of 19, tonight clear and a low of 5, sunny again on Saturday and a high of 23. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. So I wanted to move on to this tragedy in James James Smith Cree Nation and Weldon, Saskatchewan, uh, the largest mass stabbing in Canadian history. 
um, one of the largest mass murders in, I think, Canadian history in general. Um, you know, I think it's too early to know exactly what happened there and whether or not um, th- something could have been prevented. But uh, it does remind me of the last time we had a mass casualty event here in Canada, which was Porta Peak, Nova Scotia, in April 2020. 17 dead. Um, a man uh, pretending to be a, an RCMP officer went on a, a deadly shooting rampage over the course of a couple of days. Um, I've been paying a little bit of attention to the to the mass casualty commission there in Nova Scotia, and what's coming out is pretty um, chilling, I would say. Uh, at the end of August, Brenda Lucky, the commissioner of the RCMP, took the uh, stand and basically said that uh, 28 months later, uh, there have been really no fundamental changes to how they police, um, even though there were like clearly issues with communications, chain of command, etc., that uh, contributed to people dying there. Um, I, I asked this question a few times on this show, but uh, we'll start with Peter. You know, are we being served by the RCMP at this point? Should we be considering um, localizing policing or provincializing policing? Uh, yeah, I think that there's some really serious systemic problems, and it's, there's a the, the massacre is one example of uh, you know the response there, which was uh, uh, delayed and and reforms uh, suggestions or uh, proposals were put forward uh, you know several years ago and still not implemented. You know, so uh, you know that points to that there's a systemic problem, and we see it in other ways. You know, there was like the false flag. Event down in uh, the, down in Victoria there, where the uh, police participated in you know supporting a couple of uh, uh, s- sort of de- half deranged people uh, in planting bombs and so on, right? You know, like uh, there was a big scandal associated with that. Like what, the police were pushing that forward and 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 so on, right? So, uh, and there's many other examples of it. So you know, the issue of uh, localized police forces uh, like for example uh, in the indigenous uh, communities but but also uh, uh, other communities as well right you know the, the, that's coming more and more to the fore where people think that uh, regional or provincial police would be better suited than uh, a national force which is sort of got one one foot in the local and then one foot in the national all the time Herb, Herb what do you think about this um, like Clearly, there's an issue with the RCMP. People keep bringing this up, but what is the what is the alternative? I mean, I've, there's problems with both uh, models of policing. I mean, if you have a small local police force, they're they're basically um, prone to corruption. Uh, if they're dealing with um, uh, you know really wealthy and and uh, and and determined um, criminal elements, uh, they're going to be overwhelmed. So, you know, then you have the problem with uh, <clears throat> a national police force that may not be uh, as um, uh, responsive to local needs as necessary. It's, it's always a balancing act. Uh, the um, uh, Kanawaki police, I believe, uh, was a uh, tribal police force that um, had all their police cruisers burned because they tried to stop uh, drug dealers on the reserve. Wow. The... Um, you know, and then and then if if you look at uh, this mass shooting in in Nova Scotia, look how are you gonna, ever going to stop a madman? It's um, most of the deaths I think occurred within the first uh, four or five hours. There were a few people that were killed afterwards, and that was probably um, you know 
on the, on the um, uh, you, could, you could blame that on the RCMP for not uh, notifying, but really, uh, who would have ever expected a madman to have a police cruiser and to uh, keep on continuously killing for what it was over 16 hours or something it's it's a it's a tough question i guess that they had to face because they knew he had a police cruiser they knew he was in uniform after that first initial uh the initial shooting and then they did not tell the public well that was yeah and and it also happened at night right so i mean it's i mean they they probably could have warned they probably had it all figured out by the morning but uh but for the first first eight hours i think the guy basically had free reign he had uh, he had basically uh, created mass confusion and um, and took advantage of it. And I think that's where the bulk of the murders happened. I mean, Peter, we've got uh, in this in this report here, it says there, there were 68 recommendations after the shooting of those Moncton, those those police officers in Moncton, which apparently have not been acted upon. That was in 2014. Uh, we've been 28 months since the Porta Peak. Well, really... I can't really blame them too much. Uh, it, it takes time to go through these things. The bigger uh, a bureaucracy you have, the longer it takes to uh, respond. It's like a the ship of state can be very sluggish. So, uh, yeah, it's taking a long time to uh, enact recommendations, but uh, it, give it a little more time, it'll be done. I don't know that switching to... Uh, uh, various other types of policing will make a lot of difference. And a lot of people criticized uh, the Nova Scotia police for not responding fast enough. Well, gee, you know, if, if there's somebody shooting out at Giscombe and then he moves down to Willow River and that, it takes a long time for the police to get there and do anything, especially if he keeps moving like that. So you, you expect too much sometimes. So we, we have to be a little cognizant of reality. Uh, the police are not perfect, and they will never be perfect. So, yeah, I mean, we can the, improve them, but... You mentioned the size of the bureaucracy leads to, like, sluggishness. It can, yes. Isn't that an argument itself, Eric, to uh, to start thinking about scaling the, the bureaucracy down <clears throat> to a more local or maybe provincial level? Well, we've been down that road. I, I forget when they disbanded the... BC provincial police, but we had them. We tried them, and we got rid of them because they were corrupt. So to go back forty or fifty years and, and start over again and expect a different result might be a form of insanity. So we're back to where we are. We have a police force that's dysfunctional in some areas. The thing to do is fix it and then carry on. It's a paramilitary police force. Mm-hmm. And it's a paramilitary police force for any number of reasons, not the least of which that our standing army, including every potato peeler and lorry driver, comes in around 80,000. It's not very big (laughs) armed forces for a country of this size. So the RCMP are used for different reasons. But we pay 80% of the cost of the RCMP in Prince George, and we have the right to tell them what areas that they should be policing in because we're paying for it. We don't do a very good job on that. Right. And we also have the regional police that are here. So, I have no idea who writes tickets on the bypass on the highways, whether it's local police or regional police. And if the police that we're paying for are writing tickets on a provincial highway for police that should be paid by the provincial government, that's a problem. It shouldn't be happening that way. So we probably need to look at a whole police force 
and start over. You know, we had auxiliary police. They used to be downtown all the time. They knew all these people by the first name. They were basically volunteers, and they got the job done. And all these shopkeepers and everything really appreciated having them. Yeah. But then again, you know, police force is, in their own right, they have a, a police union, so to speak, something like the firemen. They don't like that. They want people on the payroll. They don't want volunteers down there. Yeah, I mean, the issue here, I think we've got a, we've got a, what, is it a structural issue, like structural corruption and, and like an issue with the actual needing to reform the institution, or is it about individual people? We have all heard about Brenda Lucky uh, pressuring for release of the specific kind of firearms that were used in that Porta Peak shooting, right? Pressure from, from uh, Trudeau, apparently, for that. Uh, she's also, as as I mentioned earlier today, or in this, you know, she she's claiming that there have been no movement on any changes to police um, uh, procedures since 2014 and since 2020. Uh, so, do we think that Brenda Lucky should go then? If it's if it's about our, the RCMP and well, you know, kind of we uh, we have to stay with the devil we know. Well, should we also be thinking about whether or not the leadership there needs to be changed? Well, I think there's a, a, a very simple problem. And, and so we ask ourselves the question, what happened in uh, Hazleton? All that equipment and everything was damaged. And those 10 or 15 or 20 people responsible disappeared into the sunset. And we as citizens haven't heard a word about that since. So the question is, why haven't we heard anything about that? And, that's, and you can connect that into what goes on in different parts of the country. Some stuff they don't want to get out there. They have different reasons for it. We've got four or five different types of police forces in Prince George we don't even know about. Unless you ask the question, well, what's behind that building? Oh, that's the RCMP. Oh, I didn't know that. That type of thing. So, Do we, Should we get rid of Brenda Lucky? There's the question. <laughs> well, you're discriminating if you do. Yes, no? Uh, yes, but there also has to be a review of the whole uh, RCMP as a, as a Herb? Yeah, she hasn't impressed anyone, I don't think. Yeah, Eric? she should go. Eric? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't think she should be there in the first place, but you can't say anything about these things anymore. <laughs> okay. Sorry, my we'll, mouth is taped. <laughs> we'll take a break and be, after this, be back after these messages. Sale, the Seniors Abuse and Information Line, is available weekdays from 8 to 8 and weekends from 10 to 5.30 for older adults and those who care about them to talk to a trained intake worker about abuse or mistreatment or to receive information and support about issues that impact the health and well-being of older adults. In Prince George, contact the province-wide Confidential Seniors Abuse and Information Line toll-free at 1-866-437-1940. On World Alzheimer's Day, you're invited to take in inspiring, aging-friendly communities, a virtual event hosted by Providence Healthcare. Part of their Dialogues in Aging Public Presentation Series, this panel discussion will explore why dementia-friendly communities are important provincially, nationally, and internationally. To learn more and register, visit public org. Inspiring Aging Friendly Communities, a virtual presentation on World Alzheimer's Day, Thursday, September 21st at 2 from Providence Healthcare.
Engage your board and align their work with organizational values and vision with Vantage Point's board fundamentals, roles, and responsibilities. A highly effective and engaged board has clarity around roles and responsibilities and aligns their work and performance with organizational values and vision. Registration, cost, and full details are available through the calendar link under training at thevantagepoint.ca. Board fundamentals, roles, and responsibilities, Thursday, September 15th from 530 to 830 The Prince George Council of Seniors is holding their annual general meeting at 1.30 on Tuesday, September 27th. The council is seeking nominations for directors. Nominees should have a good working knowledge of the Roberts Rules of Order and become informed about the Society's many programs and services. Nomination forms are available at the Council of Seniors office at 7th of Victoria, the Prince George Council of Seniors AGM and Election of Officers, 1.30 Tuesday, September 27th at the Brunswick Seniors Centre. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. So as usual, we'll be talking a little bit about the municipal election here um, until October 15th. We've got, you know, some sad news. I think uh, Todd Corrigal, who was uh, probably a pretty good uh, in a pretty good position in terms of the horse race, um, had to drop out due to health reasons. And we've got a new a newcomer to politics, Simon Yu, a newcomer to electoral politics. I think he's been kind of behind the scenes for a while. Anyway, uh, he's an engineer, and it looks to me like we've got kind of a two two front runner anyway mayoral race here with McConaughey and Yu. And I was just hoping to get some thoughts on what we know about their respective platforms. Uh, Herb, I mean, we can start with you. We've got an engineer on one side and a, and a rep for the housing uh, industry on the other. Well, I, I don't think they're that much apart, really. They're, they're, they, they're both being pretty vague on their, on their platforms. So I went to Terry's uh, nomination uh, announcement uh, last week, and, um, you know, she basically said... Uh, she thought that, uh, by and large, they'd done a pretty good job as uh, she'd done a good job in council, that, um, you know, the projects may have gone over budget, but um, they employed a lot of people. So, uh, you know, basically it's going to be um, status quo from here on in if she's elected mayor. Um, but, uh, you know, if you look at um, uh, one that uh, competitor, uh, what, sorry, what was his name again? Simon Yu. Simon Yu, sorry. I mean, he basically says, you know, the way out of Prince George's problems is to keep on building. We need 120,000 people here. And, um, you know, actually, you know, it's uh, it's it it is sort of common sense. If you had a larger tax base, the uh, the taxes probably would go down. (laughs) Um, Well, no, it it makes sense at at some at some point. I think he was addressing housing prices, right? House prices should go down with an increased supply. No, he 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 actually said uh, tax the tax base would be larger, so taxes might actually decrease. So that and 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 he he said he used the example of a. Uh, sewage plant. You know, the sewage plant is built for 120,000 people. Yeah. If you have 80,000 people, then you're you basically have got too much sewage plant. So, uh, so there, there's there's some some fundamental. But I mean, uh, what's going to differentiate those two candidates? I don't know. But I think uh, Terry's a clear uh, front runner here. Uh, I think she got uh, what close to 10,000 votes last time as councillor. She was up there. She was one of the top yeah. contenders. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, she's got name recognition, and if people don't hold her to account for the past eight years, then um, yeah, she's probably going to run away with it. 
art? What do you think? I mean, I haven't been able to actually find much about what Terry wants to do. I would I would say that the, the stuff I've read about Simon Yu is more specific on details. Yeah, I I don't know anything about Simon Yu except what was in the newspaper about him when he announced. And, uh, you know, just uh, going on that basis, he seems pretty sensible and capable. He certainly has a varied background, so that all, always helps when you're in a position of authority, making decisions and so on. Uh, so uh, McConaughey... Uh, Anytime I've seen her uh, speaking uh, about issues, uh, she always seemed to be sensible and and uh, she seems quite capable as well. And uh, so I, I, it's hard to say which would be better. Uh, I just, you know, McConaughey has some baggage just because she was on the past council. So it's, it's hard to say. We'll wait and see what develops over the campaign. Eric, I mean, do you think that that baggage is going to tie her down or you think that her incumbency is going to kind of carry her into the position well i think it probably will if for no other reason then you know originally i was advocating getting rid of everybody but that's not a very good idea <laughs> <laughs> you know, and a lot of people speaking of france hang, people want to hang on to skaking and they want to which is fine you know yeah brian's been around a long time and so then i did some reflecting on it and a lot of people like the mayor or sorry the city manager is gone the city engineer is gone. The, the development officer, that was the previous one. And uh, Dyer, not Dyer, I think his name is, just died recently. He was part of the management at that time. And then um, uh, the, uh, oh, what's his name? Starts with a W. Wells. Walter Babbage? Wells. Oh. Wells is gone. And, and some of these guys were really the people behind the scenes that caused all these things in the first place. And they left with the golden handshake and a suitcase full of money. A lot of them, you got the buyout. <clears throat> some of the consulates were a little remiss in not doing their jobs, especially those that were on the finance committee. They don't want to talk about it, but being on the finance committee, and uh, they should have brought some of this stuff to the attention of the rest of the council, and they didn't do that. So there's, there's problems there, but I think we've got to get beyond that now and look at what kind of a council we want to have going forward. And it's got to be balanced between uh, people in the building uh, industry and people who can't afford to buy a house because at some point your building, building industry is dead because people can't buy your product. So That's an interesting point. Peter, what do you think? Uh, well, when you look at the lineup here, uh, you know, like we have uh, uh, Terry McConaughey, Simon Yu, but also Roy Stewart and uh, uh, Chris Wood, and uh, and there's another candidate who I'm not familiar with. Adam Hyatt, he just announced. Uh, but uh, I, I'm looking at the the candidates that I know anything about, like those four there, and they all seem to have credentials, like in terms of you know they're either they're running businesses or running organizations. So I, I think that's that's good, you know, in terms of having choice for. Uh, uh, people in Prince George. Uh, my opinion, uh, I think Terry McConaughey has uh, probably the best chance at this point, uh, you know, because I look at um, uh, Simon Yu and Roy Stewart and uh, uh, and, and previously Todd uh, Corgo, right? They're sort of all coming into, you know, sort of dividing up that side of things in terms of the vote, right? And uh, uh, with with Todd, uh, unfortunately, having to, uh, to, to to leave, you know, because of uh, illness, uh, 
uh, it still creates a, there's still kind of a, a, uh, I see a a splitting of the votes between Roy Stewart and Simon Yu. Um, But um, anyway, uh, I was was happy to see that uh, there was uh, a range of candidates and that we'll have, uh, you know, real choice to make. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in that too. It is just sad that Todd's Todd's left because I think he was a he was a you know had had a bit of a, a local footprint, you know, as having been CEO of Chamber of Commerce. But you know, we'll see how these other ones stack up, especially at the uh, we're planning to do a CFIS candidates forum. So hopefully we can get them to kind of uh, fight it out in the ring. Uh, we'll take a break and we'll be back after these messages. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing in-person education with Making Activities Dementia Inclusive Wednesday, September 28th from 10 to noon at the Alzheimer's Society of BC Resource Centre. Discuss the benefits of meaningful activities and explore how different types of activities can be dementia inclusive. To register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033. The Alzheimer's Society of BC's Making Activities Dementia Inclusive, Wednesday, September 28th from 10 to noon at the Resource Centre, 1811 Victoria Street. Police are seeking assistance in identifying a robbery suspect. Just before noon on Monday, August 15th, the man entered a store in the 1900 block of Victoria Street where he discharged bear spray in the direction of employees before smashing a glass case to steal some jewelry. The suspect was wearing a red hat, two masks, glasses, black gloves, a dark gray sweater, gray sweatpants, and black and white shoes. If you have any information regarding this robbery, contact the RCMP at 250-561-3300. Save the dates. The BC Natural Resources Forum is returning to Prince George for an in-person event January 17th to 19th at the Civic Centre. The BC Natural Resources Forum offers a positive, non-partisan arena to discuss and learn firsthand the latest news, trends and opportunities linked to the resources sector in BC and across Canada. Registration and full details are available at bcnaturalresourcesforum.com. The 20th anniversary BC Natural Resources Forum, January 17th to 19th at the Civic Centre. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny today with a high of 19. Tonight clear and a low of 5. Sunny again on Saturday and a high of 23. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station. 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back with the Friday panel. And, I, you know, this Pakistan flood, it seems like every year we're hearing more and more climate-related disasters. We're hearing more and more about... Uh, I mean, frankly, Pakistan itself has has had numerous floods, fires, etc., um, droughts. Right. Um, one of the things that has been coming up is whether or not, considering the scientific consensus, is that this is an anthropogenic problem. I'm looking at art. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, you know, whether or not those countries who have been responsible for the lion's share of the emissions causing this climate. Um, these climate catastrophes are actually responsible for the outcomes as in should we be paying climate reparations uh, and I just wanted to throw that out as a, as a concept here um, and if there are climate reparations does it actually make us change our behavior a little faster start with you Art well first of all uh, 
what catastrophes? I mean, there's there no there's no increase in the amount of catastrophes. Um, uh, originally, the claim was that uh, uh, the emissions would cause the globe to warm, and we'd all fry of and die of heat prostration. Uh, but when it didn't warm according to schedule, they started talking about uh, extreme weather events that would be caused by it. But if you go and look at the stats, you know, hurricanes. Uh, you remember Hurricane Katrina that hit New Orleans with such devastating impact, and the alarmists then said, this is what it's going to be like from now on. The next year, hurricanes were well below normal. So they said, well, you know, global warming can cause fewer hurricanes too. You know, you've got to have it both ways. In fact, the number and intensity of hurricanes has been slightly declining over the past hundred years. Tornadoes have been going down. Uh, two years ago was the lowest uh, tornado year ever recorded. Um, the coldest temperature ever recorded at an American station in Antarctica was last year, 80 below. It was also the coldest all overall weather that winter. Uh, you can't have it both ways. When you look at Pakistan, there's nothing new about this. Um, a rapid transition from El Nino to La Nina between spring and summer is what appears to be the key element in triggering a vigorous monsoon. And the topographical effects and the ocean currents and everything like that all make a difference. They have had similar major floods in 1892, 1917, 1933, 1961, 1970, and 1975. Us your money. <laughs> Thanks, Art. I do just want to do a little fact checking. NASA says the rate of hurricanes is increasing. Uh, I can show you stats that it okay. isn't. Uh, Eric, climate well, I think, reparations? I think the issue goes back to, you know, the people who are going to have to pay the bill are experts on dragging things out for 20, 30, 40 years in the courts. So you know, they don't voluntarily make any kind of reparation to any country, nor do they ever claim any responsibility for anything that goes wrong. And we're part of that because we sit back and let it happen. We need the corporations in this country to take the initiative to solve the problems, not to try to fight them in court until the person that took it to court dies of old age, and then nobody takes it up anymore. We have that with the natural gas industry in Alberta, where the woman fought that court for, or fought that issue for 20 years, <clears throat> pro bono with the lawyers until they thought they weren't going to win, and then they walked away. Cost her probably $2 million of her own money, and we're no further ahead on fracking in Alberta than we were the day she started, even though she had flames coming out of her tap and that type of thing. So they can stop you forever. So we have to have a different way of dealing with these problems. And it might be something as simple as taxes. You know, we pay a certain amount of tax. Corporations pay a certain amount of tax. It doesn't matter what caused the problem. We fix it. I mean, that is the idea behind carbon pricing, right? Yeah. And the research shows that carbon pricing works to reduce carbon but, use. But it also, I mean, you can get carbon credits. And then you can go someplace else in the world and pollute. Yeah, that's a cap and trade. Yeah. yeah. Peter? Um, yeah. 
No, it, you know, if climate change is real, and uh, you know, as many believe, is caused by human intervention, uh, and that human intervention has been mostly focused in the, the, the rich countries like the United States and Europe and so on and all that. Well, it follows then that uh, the uh, countries that are affected by it, you know, like Pakistan, which just has only contributed one percent, uh, you know, to the you know pollution in the in the in the world, it follows the logic follows that yeah, the rich countries they should fork out something because they've caused this problem. Uh, you know, more generally speaking, I think one of the things that we have to develop more in the world is more the sense of pulling together. You know, like the, uh, you know, why aren't there, uh, you know, like large, like I, I look at some of these island communities that are getting flooded and so on, right? You know, their, their countries are getting destroyed, you know, from the rising sea levels and so on. You know, so, uh, you know, we need we need uh, more um, policies and procedures that, that pull the, the, the planet together to deal with this problem. Like, I, 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 I believe that, it, that there is an uh, anthropogenic, uh, you know, cause to, uh, you know, what's, what's taking place. But whatever the case, we need, um, we need to help those places that are being affected the most and also the, the countries that are, have caused the most, uh, you know, should fork up. Herb, you think it's realistic? Uh, reparations, I don't think is, are realistic. I mean, you, what, are you going to go to Great Britain? And um, uh, what do you do with all the uh, Pakistani immigrants to Britain? Uh, are they exempt? So, you know, it, it, it's sort of a nonsensical thing, I think. And, you know, I think we need less history and we need more uh, thinking in the present. And I think, um, uh, you know, the world does have to pull together and we know that carbon pricing works and it's time for... United Nations to administer a global uh, carbon tax uh, on coal, on oil, on natural gas, and uh, use it um, uh, to uh, alleviate the worst effects of climate change and to hopefully um, uh, start uh, uh, doing some uh, renewable energy investments in places that could really use it. I mean, the fact that uh, India and China are, are both still building coal plants um, that yeah. uh, India's oil imports are increasing. Um, you know, these these places are prime candidates for uh, solar and wind power, and you know, they, but they have no money to do so. So this is um, this is something that uh, the world really has to take a look at. It just, I got to do a fact check on you now, Herb, because uh, the UN has no taxation powers. <laughs> but I mean, this is something that voluntarily, you know. <laughs> yeah, how we, how is that going to work? Well, uh, you know, this is something that we could we could try for. It. We got we have to take a break. We'll be back after these messages. Power? You win. You win. Oh, yeah. Mark your calendar on Thursday, November third, for Advocate Life and Education Services annual Celebrate Life Gala. Enjoy an amazing dinner and hear from special guest speaker Rebecca Hagen, one of today's youngest speakers on the issues of teen pregnancy, abortion, and abortion pill reversal. Check out the gala website, CelebrateLifeGala.ca, for more details and to get your tickets. Advocate Life's annual Celebrate Life Gala, Thursday, November 3rd from 7 to 9 at the Civic Center. Vantage Point's Essentials for New Managers is back September 27th. Lori Dizelle and Samantha Tangeter will offer insights into understanding yourself and your role, delegation and performance management, and supporting your team. Registration full details are available through the All Labs link under training at vantagepoint.ca. 
a program for new and aspiring nonprofit managers to strengthen their management skills. Essentials for new managers. Three consecutive Tuesday evenings from 5.30 to 8.30 starting September 27th through the vantagepoint.ca. The Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity and Recreation Council is holding regional healthy living training sessions in person this fall. The sessions are complimentary for those working within Indigenous communities who want to deliver an Honour Your Health Challenge or Indigenous Run, Walk, Wheel program. The Northeast Region session will be at the Coast Hotel in Prince George on October 4th and 5th. Regional healthy living training sessions in person this fall from iSpark. More information and registration details are available at iSpark.ca. There's lots happening at OceanWise, so follow them on their social media and to stay updated. Recent happenings include their youth ambassadors attending the UN Ocean Conference and their Race for the Future partnership with SailGP. Find out what you've missed and where you can follow OceanWise to stay updated on the social media roundup through the blog link at learnandexplore at oceans.ca. OceanWise, we need the ocean and the ocean needs us. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back. Our final uh, final topic here for the panel is about this Human Rights Tribunal. I found this interesting article uh, through the CBC. A Human Rights Tribunal ruled that a grade one uh, student um, who had had a teachable moment on gender fluidity did not have their um, rights breached. Um, and I guess the main, you know, the, the student, uh, they, 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 the class had talked a little bit about some, you know, boys and girls and whether those concepts are still like hard set. You know, our, I think we know under, we understand the concept of gender fluidity here. Um, I guess my question is, are those the kinds of things that we should be allowing parents to, um, pick and choose from in the curriculum? Um, and if we allow parents to pick and choose that piece in the curriculum, then where do we stop, right? Uh, I, I've been noticing in the southern United States a lot of book banning and, and challenges to teaching evolution. Is that where is that where we're going to end up, Eric? Well, again, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, I, I'm at that point now where somebody's 40, 50 years old, they're young, you know. Thanks. And I mean young. <laughs> compared to me. so But they don't have any history of a lot of things. And so when they make a decision or try to make a decision, it's not based on past knowledge. It's based on what they learned yesterday or something. And and so you're learning stuff in school that really is not probably a good thing because it's not, you know, we used to have what they called the Parent Teachers Association. And the parents and the teachers sat down and decided what the curriculum would be. And it morphed into now where the uh, teachers to the BC Teachers Federation and the trustees, not they decide what the curriculum is going to be. But there's nothing to say that they know what's better. Like I talked to one teacher once, and she says, "Do you realize that we have 500 interfaces with a student in a day?" And I said, "No, I didn't realize that." I said, "What is the first one? Hello?" And then the student says, "Oh, hi." I said, "So that's three, and you haven't started your day yet." You see, so we're into all kinds of funny stuff that really, I think that this issue, it's a very serious issue, you know, because it's attached to freedom of speech, freedom of rights or whatever. But when you ask specifically, what does it mean? I didn't know this. It means that a woman, before she's pregnant, uh, uh, 
the uh, the cell that produces babies is female. It's all female. There's no male until it's been uh, spermed. Okay, and then it splits into either a female or a male. But You're talking some, about XY chromosomes. Yeah, but sometimes it doesn't split into either one, and and then it ends up whatever. You might have three or four different variations. Now, I have difficulty trying to see, because I can kind of understand that, but I would have difficulty understanding how a school teacher is going to explain that to a four, grade three or four kid. I don't, I don't think that's the time or the place to do it. Later on in life or something, and the family being involved and everything, is probably not a bad place to do it. Doing it in the school? I know some school teachers that shouldn't even be allowed to teach. <laughs> Peter, do you think that this, I mean, where, if, if Eric's right and pe- teachers should be able, or parents should be able to have a say in how curriculum goes, where does that end? Uh, yeah, no, I, I sort of favor the idea more like of uh, the, the teachers, especially having the, uh, uh, re- that responsibility, right? Now, that being said, uh, I look at the, uh, you know, this particular issue, which I'm not, you know, I don't know the details of it and all this, you know, but I think that, uh, you know, introducing the ideas of gender fluidity in grade one, like uh, that's maybe premature, right? You know, like, a, uh, you know, such topics could uh, be brought in uh, at a later time. But I, what I would like to say is uh, I don't like the idea of, uh, like, as happening in uh, in some states and all this where government is uh, basically imposing curriculum and banning books and so on, right? That's a path we don't want to go down. Uh, you know, I, I, on the other hand, like, um, I, I really don't, I, I really uh, oppose the idea of demonizing, you know, people because of their gender you know, identity or whatever. That's very important that there's no discrimination of any kind like that. But there should also be no demonization of people who disagree, you know, like who, who have a different view of uh, uh, than the, the, those who uh, are, you know, talking about gen- gender identity. We have to de-escalate the situation. And uh, for teachers, it's an extremely difficult situation. You know, like because you're you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, right? So I think we have to lessen the the pressure in that regard. Herb, what do you think? Uh, I just uh, echo uh, uh, other uh, panelists saying that uh, there's uh, definitely a, an age appropriate um, uh, bar that uh, should be uh, uh, considered. But uh, saying that, uh, look, kids go to school to learn and. Um, they're going to uh, learn about all sorts of things out there in the world. And what they need to be able to do is to logically discriminate between stuff that has validity and stuff that doesn't. So uh, I would say, you know, there's, there's no harm in uh, exposing children to all sorts of different uh, thoughts. Uh, in biology, I learned about uh, Darwinism versus Lamarckism. Uh, people originally thought that... Um, uh, you know that uh, uh, giraffes um, uh, stretch their neck, yeah. stretch their necks, and that's that's how they wound up long necks. Uh, and uh, Darwinism provided a different ex- explanation, and it was actually more logical, and that's the accepted one now. So, um, you know, the, the kids should be um, exposed to a whole variety of, of different theories and uh, explanations for how the world is, and. Um, 
I, you know, that's that's what, what kids should go to school for. Art, you get the last word. I mean, there's kids playing with themselves three and four years old. Shouldn't we be ta- teaching them bad, bad about that at the at that age? Why are teachers talking to six year olds about sex? Yeah. I mean, sure, they know that they've got their privates, and I remember being a young kid, but uh, you. They are way too young to comprehend this stuff. You're just going to confuse them. Teachers should be teaching them reading and writing and arithmetic and all kinds of stuff like that, not this gender fluidity uh, and telling them that they can change sex. They can't. Uh, You you tell a six-year-old boy that he can become a real girl or he can become a girl, and he'll think like a real girl, totally 100% real girl. He can't. Uh, what he'll become is a sterilized and mutilated eunuch, but they won't tell him that. Uh, this, is, this is a stuff of horror stories. Uh, it reminds me of the eugenics movement in the 30s. On that uh, cheerful note, we will have to end our program. Thanks, everyone, for coming in. Have a great weekend. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM.